Our first scripture reading this morning is found in the fifth and sixth chapters of Hosea, found on page 790 in the Old Testament of your Pew Bible. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. In their distress, they will beg my favor. Come, let us return to the Lord, for it is he who has torn, and he will heal us. He has struck down, and he will build us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His appearing is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the showers, like the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets, I have killed them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. From the ninth chapter of Matthew, beginning in the ninth verse, going through the thirteenth and then jumping to verse eighteen. Through 26. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax collection station. And he said to him, Follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. While he was saying these things to them, suddenly a leader came and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she shall live. Jesus got up and followed him with his disciples. Then suddenly a woman who had been suffering from a flow of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, If I only touch his cloak... I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that moment. When Jesus came to the leader's house and saw the flute players in the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away. The girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took her by the hand, and the girl got up. And the report of this spread through all of that district. This is the gospel of the Lord. Join your hearts with me in prayer. Help our hearts to hear your word. Not the syllables uttered in this space, but your spirit speaking to our hearts. For we know, O Lord, The sermon your spirit preaches to our hearts is 
is of far greater importance than the preacher's words. To the glory of Christ. Amen. I want you to think a little bit about the grand gesture, the -the over-the-top event, the denouement of experience. It's the stuff of which memories are made. Then there's the rest of life. All of our other days that are lived in the meantime. The depth of love is not captured in a single celebration. I've had the unusual experience over the last three weeks to perform wedding ceremonies for no less than two of the daughters of this congregation. One was Hannah Matheson and the other was Katie Williams. And I had the privilege of dusting off my wedding notes and having the opportunity to share with them that the wedding is not the marriage. It's the culmination of a lot of planning and a boatload of money. I don't actually say that at the wedding because they haven't given me an honoraria yet and I'm afraid they'll take that the wrong way. (laughs) But that a marriage is significantly more mundane It is the average stuff that we do on any given day of the week when the extended family isn't watching and there's no videographer to record any mistakes or humorous failures. The depth of love is not captured in a moment. It is expressed in the day-to-day mundane actions, the quotidian experiences of life. Ernest Hemingway wrote in whom the bell tolls as Jordan muses over his love for Maria and is sending her off, hopefully, to join him in Missoula, Montana. But in the meantime, all the life you have or will ever have is today, tonight, tomorrow. Today, tonight, tomorrow, over and over again, I hope. It's one thing to buy a book. I love buying books. I lived in Hyde Park. It comes with a requirement of your lease. (laughs) But I know it's quite another thing to actually read a book. And even another thing more to understand what I'm reading. Hosea understood the difference between showy celebrations and the rest of life. Hosea's wife was the envy of all she encountered. Mrs. Hosea was a stunning beauty. Gomer was her name. Gomer could captivate the swooning attention of women and men alike. The kind of person who, when she entered the room, all heads would turn, conversation would hush. A slight gasp could be heard, piercing the silence. And there she was in all her glory, beautiful Gomer on Hosea's arm. Hosea Hosea was, for the most part, kind of a forgettable dude. He was a nerd, he was a scholar, he wrote poetry. At the alumni gathering for Hebrew school, when the two of them would stroll into the reunion, 
Hosea's old classmates would say out loud, how did he get her? Folks would say, yeah, they're a, they're a beautiful couple, except for him. Everyone thought Hosea should be a happy man. After all, he married an exquisite beauty. And they had kids together who, fortunately for them, looked like her. Except there was this little detail. Mrs. Hosea, Gomer, was an escort. Even after the kids were born, Gomer would come into the kitchen way overdressed for a dinner of lentil stew. She'd smile coyly at Hosea and bite her lower lip saying something about having an appointment and that she was sorry she wouldn't be home to tuck in the kids. And then off into the night. Hosea often kicked himself. It wasn't like she had tricked him or he didn't know. He entered the relationship with his eyes wide open knowing her occupation. But he always hoped that she would settle down that she would respond to his expressions of love and the rhythm of day-to-day, his attentiveness, his listening, his care. That was part of the problem. Hosea had made the mistake of falling deeply in love with Gomer. He couldn't compete with the opera openings, the cotillions, the yachts, the clubs. They lived on a prophet's stipend, a professor's salary, enough to get by if they economized. And she always had a taste for things finer. Isaiah would finish the dishes, sing a song or two with the kids, help them with their homework, speak one of his little phrases of poetry. And then, after they were in bed, Hosea would cry, sobbing his prayers into his pillow. Hosea would weep to God about the pain of loving someone who delighted in being unfaithful. And God would respond to Hosea, I know exactly how you feel. We know this because of Hosea's epic poem that became one of the minor prophetic books, the book of Hosea. He wrote it in the 8th century B.C. And it speaks of his love for Gomer and God's love for Israel. Israel now lost to Assyrian oblivion and Judah soon to be in captive by Babylon. The metaphor, the allegory, whatever it is, stands as an awkward account of one who is loving and faithful to another who is not. What it's like to have a beloved spouse who, not, who only shows up on holidays when everybody else is looking, when the cameras are on, but the rest of the time... Not so much. Sometimes, Hosea writes, not at all. She's only there for the festivals, the crowds, the spectacles, Hosea would cry. 
You mean like dancing and sacrificing for ritual banquets? The harvest ball? The Passover dinner? I know, said God to Hosea. I know. The poem is meant to rattle us. Not only at the absurd and hateful disregard Gomer has for Hosea, but more importantly, the shocking quality of God's love for us. Our callous cluelessness as to where our true safety, our true value, our deep hope rests. There were times when Gomer offered her flashy self to Hosea. She'd put on that dress, glam up for the wedding or family reunion, take a night on the town with him, like she was doing him some kind of favor. But that wasn't what Hosea longed for. What he wanted was not her persona. What he wanted was her. Gomer could always come home. Hosea waited. He even listened patiently when she would cry about being ill-treated by another one of her customers. He naively believed that his persistence and patience would eventually wear her down and she would discover the joy of being home. Even after the neighbors figured out what was going on at the Hosea house and Gomer lost her looks and her client book grew thin, she still snuck out, and Homer still waited. Not looking for the young, the grand, the flashy, the beautiful, but longing for this simple company of his beloved. Not pageantry, but persistence. Not sacrifice, but fidelity. No small amount of indulgence and indignance was expressed by the Pharisees when they criticized Jesus eight centuries later for befriending sinners and tax collectors. How could he talk to them? How could he be in their homes? How could he eat the food that was prepared with their unclean hands? Jesus quoted to them from the book of Hosea, from the poem of unrequited love. Learn what this means, Jesus says. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. A few hours later, a woman was perpetually unclean because of her hemorrhaging she was so convinced of her own unworthiness that she refused to ask Jesus directly to heal her. She thought if she could only sneak a touch of his garment, that would be enough for her to be healed. And of course, she was right. How did Jesus know? What distracted him when the woman brushed against his cloak? He noticed because it was done in faith. Her fidelity, her persistent trust in his overflowing mercy. There's a similar problem 
these days. Perhaps you've heard it on the news. It is something called replacement theory. Replacement theory. It's the accusation that unfettered immigration is permitted so that real Americans can be replaced by foreigners in order to dilute our population into some kind of political change. This version of replacement theory often goes hand in hand with another version of replacement theory, and that is that America has replaced Israel as the locus of God's chosen people. That the rights and privileges afforded the ancient biblical nation of Israel now apply to us as Americans, including the right to utterly destroy, destroy those who we find apostate, to get rid of the unclean, to dilute our generous legacy. On Sunday, July 22, 2018, Bruce Rittenhouse preached an eloquent sermon on this form of replacement theory. You can go to the church archive and listen to it again. It's available to hear. Unfortunately, I fear that that second replacement theory, that is that America has replaced ancient Israel, is in a tragic way becoming true. That is, the hallmark of God's chosen people is only the waving of a flag or the getting teary-eyed at a festival or cheering at a parade. It's not in the demonstration of kindness or inclusion or mercy or grace. I fear we may be coming closer to ancient Israel than we might think. If we want the legacy of being God's chosen people, then we had better be nicer to the people that Jesus actually chose to be near in history. Matthew, the tax collector, a woman rendered unclean by her own blood, sinners, Samaritans, prostitutes. What truly matters to God is not our place in history, but how we treat one another on a daily basis. Gomer was Hosea's wife, and his fidelity to her was without question. But Gomer is not remembered for being the prophet's spouse. She is remembered for her persistent disregard for his love. It's one thing to be chosen by God. It's quite another to live in a way that makes that a good choice. What demonstrates our true love for one another? It's the validation of the beloved's interests and ideas and passions. It is saying if it is important to you because I love you, then it shall be important to me. It's one thing for us to say we love God. It's another thing for us to love what God loves and who God loves. Jesus came to seek the lost, the least, the last, the lonely, and the losers. Our passion for their inclusion, their value, is the best and most 
faithful expression of our love for Jesus. Are we God's chosen people? Well, in a historic sense, I don't think so. But I do know that we're rapidly becoming a people who will be remembered for our persistent disregard for the people whom God loves. So let's hear again the words that Hosea wrote thinking of his unfaithful bride and an unfaithful people. Come, let us return to the Lord, for it is He who is torn, and He will heal us. It is He who is struck down, and He will bind us up. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He'll raise us up that we may live before Him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His appearance is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like showers, like the spring rains that water the earth. For God desires steadfast love not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Amen. Amen. Stand and join with me in the affirmation of faith through the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty.
Jason's gone one Sunday 